lesson for our time from the idea of the wheel-turning monarch found in the suttas. Of course, this is one of the most famous stories, the birth story of the Buddha, mm -hmm. the wise man and the Buddha. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. Wheel-turning monarch. Well, when, when at a rare, very rare intervals of time, a human being is born with the 32 marks of a great man, Mahaparisa. And uh, one who has those marks will inevitably become either a Buddha or a Chakawati, a wheel-turning monarch. So the wheel-turning monarch is... Um, in that sense, a secular counterpart of the Buddha. These are like the two supreme pinnacles of human development. So when um, the Buddha Gotama was born, the wise men saw these marks on him and uh, made this prognostication. He will either be a Buddha or a wheel-turning monarch. And his father, being a worldly and ambitious ruler, wanted his son to grow up to be the conqueror of the world. And, uh, surrounded him with sense pleasures to try and divert his mind towards um, the worldly ambition. Mm -hmm. But it, in this case, it didn't work. But the, the, the wheel-turning monarch is, has a whole mythology surrounding him. Mm -hmm. And uh, they do arise at, at very rare intervals in the world. What happens is that uh, a wheel appears in the sky, an eight-spoked wheel. And the, the people in the town see it coming from a long way off, and they wonder, what is this? Is this a second moon? What is this coming? And mm. um, eventually it settles over the palace of the king, and the king recognizes it as <coughs> the, the Dhamma wheel, the Dhamma chakra. And... Uh, he pays obeisance, he sprinkles it with water, and then uh, he's now recognized as the um, Dhammachaka, uh, the uh, Chakawati, the mm. wheel-turning monarch. And he follows the wheel. The wheel progresses through the sky, and the king with his army and his whole entourage and all the people, the artisans and so on, they all rise up into the sky. Mm and float through the air behind the wheel. Ah, wow. And he goes from kingdom to kingdom. Yes. And the other kings come out with their armies, and seeing the wheel, they make uh, obeisance and pay homage to the Chakawati. Mm. And he admonishes them to keep the precepts and rule justly, and they become his vassals. So he conquer, <coughs> conquers the whole earth without stick or sword. Hmm. Uh, peaceful conquest of the entire world. And he goes from not only this island, Jampudipa, uh, but goes to the other four, the other three islands, conquers all the entire uh, world system. And these other islands are actually not necessarily earthly islands? They're... Well, they're... Is it... They are, but um, they aren't in a way. They're... Um, in a sense, they're almost like other planets. They're so far away, they can't be reached by earth, earthly means, ordinary means. Right. The, the four world islands on 
either side of the central mountain. Yeah. So this this uh, wheel that appears in the, is starting to sound very suspicious. Yes, yes. <laughs> this uh, as this uh, visitors from another planet or another I think dimension. We can leave or... that for people to decide for, them, for <laughs> yeah. themselves. We won't. But the, there is um, a very long description yeah. of the wheel in one of the commentaries. Yeah goes into very minute detail uh, and it sounds very mechanical all these kind of metal tubes and parts and pieces all I see yeah there's no <clears throat> inhabitants of the wheel it's a there's it's never mentioned anything about a... there's never mentioned anything about any beings associated with the wheel mm-hmm. the wheel seems to be an entity onto, onto itself yeah well, certainly the wheels are extremely important <laughs> inventions, the invention of the wheel. Uh-huh. Of course, the wheel is also the, the wheel, some speculation about the wheel of the sun moving across the sky, but, you know, they knew what the sun was. And they, yes. It's, they would have said, it's yeah. the sun. You know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there, it's something very strange, very interesting, and it's very rare. Mm-hmm. And it seems to appear to everybody. Yeah. And... It's a kind of, we might call it perhaps the charisma, uh, a representation of charisma of the of this world turning emperor. Mm. Um, and so he conquers, I think the last, something world ruling emperor that I can imagine is um, maybe the, uh, Queen Victoria. Mm. <laughs> Remember yeah. the... Uh, the sun never set on the British Empire, yeah. so and she yeah. sat on the throne for sixty years. Yeah, but it wasn't a peaceful. Uh, it, they conquered with the stick and the sword. Yes, and so this is a purely peaceful, a very appealing kind of charisma that people are willing to uh, a federation, more or less, mm-hmm. of, of other countries become. Mm-hmm. Uh, are willing to form federations. And it's a very idealized. Yeah. Like I think we find in the Buddhist scriptures a, an ambivalent attitude towards kingship. Yes. That um, there's there's one sutta where the Buddha is uh, uh, contemplating whether it is possible for a king to rule justly without stick or sword. Right. And Mara appears to him and tries to tempt him and says, you have the power, why don't you turn the Himalayan mountains into gold and use the wealth to benefit sentient beings and make yourself king of the world? And the Buddha says, I know you, Mara, and dismisses him. But the question is never answered. Is it possible to rule without stick or sword? And the uh, practical monarchs at the Buddhist time, uh, of course, were not, were not able to do that. You know, they had punishments of the wrongdoers and they, they went to war with each other. So in on, on a world, ordinary worldly plane, it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to happen. So you have this idealized picture of the wheel-turning monarch who is able to uh, rule justly over the whole earth without any any use of force. Yeah, it's a, an aspiration. I guess as we move along in history, we come a little closer to it. Uh, you know, the, the idea that you could have a country without capital punishment is a very mm-hmm. recent idea. Yeah, this is true, yeah. 
Yeah, in Canada, 1968, I think it was. Mm. Some of the Scandinavian countries have. And they also don't have standing armies, so <clears throat> it's perhaps that aspiration to peaceful rule. Mm. But you see how far the Buddhist scriptures are ahead of time. You know, yeah, how they're envisioning the possibility of nonviolence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and how the uh, wheel-turning monarch finances ah. his uh, his uh, regime is is also idealized. Mm. Because taxation is, um, of course, not a desirable thing. And uh, what happens is he's progressing through the air following the wheel. The wheel suddenly plunges into the ocean and the two uh, sides of the ocean pull apart and form like walls mm -hmm. so that the, the, he, the king and his entire entourage descend to the, through the air to the floor of the sea. Uh, and at that spot where they descend is covered with jewels mm. and they gather all these jewels up and this is what uh, finances the, the king's uh, good works. Right, and notice that there's no open pit mining involved. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah. A, it must have been in a very oppressive uh, work project in the, in the good old days. Yes. People yeah. with shovels and picks. Yeah, so that, in fact, of course, uh, there are countries that just happen to be rich in um, these kind of natural resources mm -hmm. and they really don't have to labor too much. Yeah. In our own time, we have Saudi Arabia and Norway and things like that with the, yeah. the oil gushing out of the ground, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting vision and it happens sometimes in history, doesn't it? So it's idealized and also the, the awareness of taxation. They're not disconnected from what we consider modern. They know how mm -hmm. government happens. Oh, yeah. And you have, everybody has to contribute. Yeah. The taxation has to happen. And it has to be, it can be unjust or it can be just. Mm. Yeah. So this uh, choice, remember the story of the, what is the, the eight wise men who come to the birth of the Buddha. Mm. Or the, actually the birth of the Bodhisattva, he's not the Buddha yet. Yes. And, they, they make, and seven of them predict uh, that he could be either world-turning monarch or a Buddha. And um, it'd be interesting to know what, how, what, what they meant by the word Buddha, you know, because mm. obviously Buddhism wasn't invented. Uh -huh. uh, but some sort of power, a very charismatic religious leader mm. versus a very charismatic political leader. Mm. And one of them decides there's only one possible fate for this, that he's going to be a Buddha. Yeah. Um, this, uh, this is a very interesting area. I had to contemplate this as well, even in ordaining my early days, that which is it that does more good? A just society... Uh, can help, you know, a monarch or a great leader can change the lives of a lot of people by redistributing wealth and making justice happen and so forth. Mm. Is it really a better idea to renounce the world and go off than to be active politically? So it's, mm. it's, a, it's a vital question yeah. even now, isn't it? Like yes. what it, and of course, many people don't understand, well, what, what are those monks doing anyway? Mm. These parasites are useless, mm. you know, on the outside. But they answer that question. They answer this, even 
this idealized world ruling monarch is not as valuable as a Buddha mm -hmm. because the nature of the Buddha is that it persists ex enormously through time, even after the end of a, of a kingdom mm -hmm. and what empires have lasted. I think the longest surviving empire was the Byzantine empire, 700 years. Mm -hmm. Now the Sasana is 2,500 years old. So we have outlasted the longest, most glorious empires on the earth. So I think it's a very good question. I, I really appreciated this story because it, it, it poses the absolute optimal political solution yeah. to the miseries of life. Yeah. Could you bring justice and well-being through these means? Is that the solution or is it a spiritual solution? Does that, uh, is that a, uh, a more efficacious solution mm -hmm. to the situation. Well, one limitation of, uh, of uh, even the idealized political solution is it doesn't doesn't address the most fundamental causes of human suffering: birth, old age, sickness, and death. Right. Those are, that those are beyond political yes. uh, political uh, solution. Um, the political solution can at best ameliorate conditions within samsara. It doesn't transcend samsara. I notice we're in a time where we are trying to, through technology and and medicine and so forth, eliminate suffering. Mm. And some of the solutions we're coming up with is euthanasia. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah. Uh, I know we will gently kill you. Yeah. <laughs> the, because of the, the problem of of aging and illness is unsolvable ultimately, uh, except through death, if that's a, a solution. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't like to suffer, but we don't have any spiritual solutions, so we'll just give you an easy way out. Mm. So these are the, the attempts to solve this problem through political means always fall short and end up, sometimes they lead to uh, catastrophes as well. Mm. I can very well see that the overuse of euthanasia <laughs> happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so the uh, this uh, monarch, when he goes to the different countries, uh, what do the rulers of the, the country, how do they negotiate with him? Um, they're overawed by the presence of the wheel in the mm -hmm. sky. And they simply submit to him. Right. But uh, him being, he doesn't uh, exploit the situation. Mm -hmm. Being a um, naturally righteous person, that's why he was chosen to be the wheel turner. He uh, simply admonishes the king to keep the five precepts mm -hmm. and allows him to continue to rule as his vassal. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't dispossess anyone. Right. And shortly after the Buddha, we have this uh, Emperor Asoka mm -hmm. in India, yeah. who seemed to uh, attempt to model or emulate that yes. idea. Yeah, he definitely used that uh, as uh, like propaganda for his regime, the, the image of the will-turning monarch. And he did try and rule justly, mm -hmm. but he, of course he conquered before he turned to... The, the Buddhist Dhamma, he did conquer with the sword yes. most of India. Uh, thereafter, he ruled 
uh, righteously as possible in ordinary worldly condition. Um, and they developed a ideology that that um, was an extension of the the, the Chakawati idea, was the, the classical Chakawati found in the, the Pali text was a conqueror of the entire world, including the four islands. Asoka claimed to be a, a Chakawati of one island, so which is Jambudipa, yeah. or um, which is in um, mythological terms, it's the ordinary world, but in practical geographical terms, it was the subcontinent of India. Right. So uh, he did have the whole basically known world under his rule. Mm-hmm. And so he... Very came, large empire. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that was the most... Uh, that was the most successful or um, well-established attempt at establishing a kind of Chakawati on earth in, in historical times. But many Buddhist rulers have used that imagery. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a common, common motif. Talk about that story of the world-ruling emperor who it wasn't enough to just rule this world. Yes, this is this is a story of Mandata. He was one of the uh, uh, Chakawatis who uh, began with the the um, archetypal career of a Chakawati conquering the whole earth, all four islands. But then he felt that this was not enough. He felt unsatisfied. And he asked his advisors, what else is there to conquer? Mm -hmm. And they told him, well, there's this realm of the four great kings. So he led his army up the side of Mount Sinaru. And the four great kings came forth, the the gods, and um, submitted to him. And he ruled over their realm. Mm -hmm. And he ruled there for a very long time. And then he became dissatisfied once more. And his advisors told him there is still a greater uh, place at the top of Mount Sinaru, the Tao Tingsa heaven. Mm-hmm. So he climbed up the rest of the way up the mountain. And Saka came forth, and uh, like all the other kings, he was overawed by the wheel. But Saka was more powerful than any other ruler. So he didn't submit completely. He said, I'll share the kingdom with you. And they ruled side by side. They set up side by side thrones and ruled together. And Mandata is said that he lived so long that he outlived 16 Sakas. Hmm. And Sakas, as the Tawa Tingsa level of heaven, they lived for 57 million years. So, <laughs> so he was quite a... 16 times 57. You can do the math yourself. Do the math, yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it comes out to be a very long time. And... Um, at that point, he he grew dissatisfied again, and uh-huh. he he thought to himself, "Why am I sharing rule with this fellow? Why don't I kill him and take over?" Mm-hmm. And as soon as he had that unworthy thought, he lost the protection of the wheel, mm-hmm. and the wheel sank to earth, and he fell along with it. He fell to earth, and uh, uh, before he died. You know, people ask him what had happened, and he said, this is what happens when you have unsatisfied desire. Right. And it's taken as a um, model of, or an archetype of unsatis- the unsatisfiability of sensual desire. Yeah. 
that no matter how much you get, you always want more. Right. And a sensual desire, but also political power. Power, power yes. and desire. Yeah. Now we have, I mean, it's, it sounds outlandish, but actually you see Kennedy announcing in the early 60s that America would go to the moon. Yeah. So nothing is, there is a never satisfied. <laughs> yeah. We're always, and we went to the moon, we landed, came back and we landed, went again and then, and then we stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah. so it was just a, now we're talking about Mars and so forth, yeah. but it's very clear that the humans, some aspect of uh, unwise human uh, wants to conquer the universe. The world mm -hmm. is not enough. All, yeah. all of the universe yeah. uh, must be had. Yeah. Uh, so it's an aspiration <clears throat> to an insatiable aspiration. Of course, all it takes is the slightest taint mm. for it to all fall apart as well. Yeah. And you see this, mm. see Tsar Nicholas in Russia. Yeah. Uh, in history, you know, I actually perhaps the wealthiest person in history. And it wasn't very long till the Marxists overthrew that situation. Yeah. And then they, they got their opportunity to yeah. taint the whole thing yeah. as well. They only yeah. lasted 70 years. Yeah. Capitalism and Marxism compete for this idea of, to rule the world. They're going to bring this this great idea to you, mm -hmm. and they're very they're kind of shocked when you don't embrace it. And so at that point, it becomes necessary that the ends justify the means, mm -hmm. and it turns to violence as well. We see this these okay. stories just playing out again and yes. again and again. Yeah. So this deep insight into into human nature. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. When, when in the ordinary uh, human uh, existence attempts to um, ameliorate human conditions through political means end up like the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution mm. and end up with a lot of bloodshed. Yes. And they start with a what could be considered a noble idea. They want to help people, but yes, it, they find it impossible to rule without stick or sword. Because the impurity of the heart. So it's not possible to establish a just, an ultimately just empire without purification of the heart. Mm -hmm. And then at the purification of the heart, one realizes the limits of any possible material arrangement mm -hmm. and ultimately falls apart. Any other um, areas of curiosity and interest for the world turning monarch? There's a story of a succession of wheel turning monarchs that ruled over uh, many generations. Mm -hmm. And in each case, the, the elder would, when he reached a old age, which was measured in tens of thousands mm -hmm. of years, he would go off and practice as an ascetic in the forest and his son took over it. And this lasted for several generations until one of the kings failed to keep the uh, duties of the wheel-turning monarch, mm. uh, which include um, uh, providing providing for the poor. Ah. And he didn't he didn't uh, do that. And, yes. And that led to crime and um, 
violence in the kingdom and he lost the uh, protection of the wheel mm-hmm. and the, the whole thing fell apart yeah very good mm-hmm. and uh perhaps in a future talk we will discuss the 10 duties of a king mm-hmm. the which yeah. is very pertinent to our time as well yeah. uh, there's so much discussion about what government should do whether you need a minimal government or mm-hmm. a, uh, a substantially interfering type of government mm-hmm. uh, but there's a lot of wisdom to be found in the, the Buddhist analysis of this of what the actual duty of the government yeah. is to people and what its function is and there's uh, in the Aganya Sutta the origin of kingship mm-hmm. is kind of interesting because that has the Buddha come down on a definite side and something that's been a political issue in uh, in Europe yeah. between uh, you know, in, in early modern and pre-modern times, there was the theory of divine right of kingship. Yes. That the kings ordained by God. Mm-hmm. And then this was um, supplanted by the social contract theory mm-hmm. of, of Locke and Hobbes, that uh, government was essentially a, a, um, an agreement amongst people. We have to, you know, end the state of chaos. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the side the Buddha takes, and he was mm-hmm. it was quite explicit that he was criticizing the Brahmanical view mm-hmm. of the divine uh, or, or ordaining of society, and he takes a right. very practical view that human beings were degenerating morally, and previously they'd lived in a harmonious state of nature, mm-hmm. but now they were starting to um, steal and lie and rob from each other. And, so they uh, got together and decided we need somehow to sort this out. Mm. So we'll choose one amongst us to be the ruler, and mm. he can punish the un, the you know the wrongdoers. Right. And they elected this fellow they call Mahasamata, the great elect, yes. and he was the first of the kings of humans. Right. So in that sense, government becomes like a necessary evil. Yeah. Because humans are imperfect, they have to have some. Um, governance over them. Right, and I think in the story there's also an inevitable story of decline because when you have to enforce things by by power, mm. um, people try to get around that power yes. and then they, they arm themselves and then it becomes a kind of a continuous civil yes. war as well. Yes. So he, obviously they, they just didn't have a lot of hope for uh, some sort of mechanical sorting this out. It's either yeah. a, a voluntary commitment to Sila, where everything gets better, Sila being virtue, yeah. everything just gets better when people voluntarily um, <clears throat> cooperate, uh, practice generosity, kindness, and clarity, things get better. Mm-hmm. And when you need to do this by authority to keep people mm-hmm. in line, it just is a matter of time before it declines. Yes. Yeah. The rule of, of law is not uh, enough to make life to, to help people understand why they should be good. Mm-hmm. So that's the little discussion on the world ruling monarch and lots of lessons to be learned from that.